This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time with this episode's going to be very interesting, as they all are. I think I say that. I can't say that emphatically enough each time because I'm interested in the people we're talking to, and I know you will be too. So this gentleman, Sam Shelley, has had a very interesting tour with medicine that did not work, and he's come up with a lot of interesting solutions and a program that is associated, he calls it Head Trash Anonymous. I think you can get the drift of where we're going with that. Because he doesn't want trash in his head, and he doesn't want us to have trash in our head, and he's going to tell us all about it. Welcome aboard, Sam. Appreciate you coming. Thank you for having me, Dr. Parker. It's really a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's going to be fun. So first of all, we're going to just do a brief uh, couple remarks from our sponsors, and then we'll get into finding out exactly who you are. CBJ listeners already know how much we love the reality of data here at CBJ. And today, we welcome our clinical friend and our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory. With over 3 million studies and deep peer-reviewed evidence, they are leaders of the experience with big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges, all of which directly affect brain function. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. More in mid-episode. And CBJ listeners also know how much we appreciate detailed improvements of mind care on many different levels. Today, we're also pleased to welcome a new sponsor and partner with a deep interest in fresh, comprehensive options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally. For over 80 years, the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and global level. And by the way, they're TRICARE friendly. More later, folks, stay tuned. So let's talk about who Sam is. Sam is from Levittown, PA. I'm an old Philadelphia guy, so I know right where that is. He's the founder of Head Trash Anonymous. He's an author and a minister of inspiration. He healed himself of, get this, multiple sclerosis, bipolar, and three other diseases, which you're going to hear about in a minute. His life was filled with pain and suffering. At the age of six years old, a van nearly took his life. As an adult, he was hospitalized several times due to suicidal tendencies as a bipolar person, and then he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis that left him almost completely disabled. In addition, he had psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and get this, migraines. One day, things suddenly changed, and his health was miraculously restored, and it was through his efforts, which we're going to hear about in a moment, the healing could not be explained by his doctors, He later learned that the medical community did call it spontaneous healing, but I think we're going to hear that he was actively involved in his own care. 
So over the course of 18 months, he made a full recovery from the traumas. What an introduction. I mean, there is a lot to talk about here because everybody's curiosity is right up at the max. What in the heck, start with this please if you don't mind, is a spontaneous healing and how did that apply to you with all those significantly untreatable mal maladies? Yeah, well, it's a pretty interesting journey that I had throughout my life, to say the least, you know, being the bipolar, being suicidal, being hospitalized a few times so I didn't kill myself. Then at age 37, you know, I lost the ability to walk from multiple sclerosis, but I really had the worst migraine in my life on a Friday. By Monday, my gait was affected, and by Wednesday, I could not walk. So mm -hmm. it was also really a lot of trauma throughout my life, you know, from the band and everything else. But what happened for me was... Because with the MS, my vision was very poor. But I was just reading some books. And one of the books I read about was meditation. And meditation equals inner peace. I'm like, I need that. Because my mind was constantly going in all these negative thoughts. Especially when I was a bipolar. You know, that life was too painful. That I should kill myself. I was in a really dark place with my mindset. With all these diseases I had. All the medicine I was taking, my cooling vest, my cane, everything. I just had all this burden on my shoulders. So I desperately needed inner peace. So I began a simple meditation practice that night. I didn't have a teacher tell me to sit a certain way, breathe a certain way, hold my posture a certain way. That would have taken my bipolar OCD brain too fixed on the rules of meditation. So I simply sat there for five minutes a day and not react to the mind. So that's how I began my meditation practice. Wow. Five minutes a day. Now, and you, did you have any specific techniques about breathing? Or you're just, your whole mission was to just not think about thinking. Well, my, well, what I saw from my meditation practice for the first two weeks were really tough because I thought like meditation meant stop thinking. Then it was like, wait, that's not it. That's a thought chasing a thought. Then I realized that I have thoughts but I'm not my thoughts. Uh-huh. So they so then so then let's talk a little more about that because you're getting you've just taken taken a deep jump off the cliff there and I'm trying to paraglide with you here a little bit. What's the what then do you think and how do you manage those thoughts that were so cumbersome for you? Well, what I saw that the, the mind was constantly filled with all this head trash, if you will, all this mental garbage that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't deserving, that I was lacking at night. You can think of the head trash too as those racing thoughts you have at night and you can't sleep because the mind is constantly just churning away on thoughts. So meditation slowed my thought process down just by observing. So I never had a teacher. I never breathed a certain way. I never sat a certain way. If the mind got busy. I just came back into this moment, like, where's my feet? Where are my hands? Where's my breath? Just getting myself back here into this moment because I saw my thoughts were taking me out of this moment. Mm -hmm. So I'll bring myself back into this moment. Then I just had a really profound experience after three months of my meditation practice. Well, tell us about that. You definitely have my curiosity. Yeah, so I had a very simple meditation practice. So it was five minutes the first month and five minutes twice a day the second month. And by the third month, I was around 10 minutes twice a day. But one evening after meditation, I simply heard a voice say, perfect spirit. I'm like, that's it. My spirit is fine. It's simply the body that's damaged. And this came at the right point for me because if I heard that voice any earlier in my journey, 
are we going to my psychiatrist say, hey, doc, I'm th- going, I think we're going schizophrenic here. <laughs> You're having a hallucination. Ouch. Yeah. So, but, but I realized when I heard that voice, which I call my intuition now, my own intuition, my own insights, just reminding me that my spirit's fine. It's simply the flesh that is damaged. Then my mind got very quiet that night. Then I just sort of followed this intuitive voice on how to recover the body and the mind. That's interesting. So you then, uh, you then had uh, to, when you say you follow the intuitive voice, did it say no, no, or yes, yes? How did all that go? Well, the intuitive voice was very, very short and succinct. It was, I would say things like perfect spirit, do yoga, drink water, less caffeine, less TV, just really mm-hmm. short and sweet. There was no story behind it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then you did practice, you did meditation, but you also did yoga then. Yes, because yoga was like really good for me. Six months after starting yoga, I didn't need my cane anymore. My balance was coming back online. So for our listeners, uh, we know there are different types of yoga. Did you have a specific type? Did you go into a yoga training? Did you do it from reading a book by yourself? I mean, that's what I did long ago. I was doing yoga for a long time. I don't do it now, but I, I got a book from, uh, uh, you know, up there in uh, Massachusetts on how to actually do, do yoga. And uh, how, how did you do that? What happened? Well, I was, just, I was like, okay, got the voice to do yoga. So I just drove by on my way to work. I just drove by a yoga studio and I just had a knowing there's your yoga studio. So I went there and I signed up. Did, you, did they have, so they, did they have a particular I'm I'm looking at the healing application part of it and trying to make sure that uh, our listeners get the full benefit of that part of it. What you're saying, and and both, it would be a benefit if they knew exactly what you were doing, but it'd be a benefit if they realized that you didn't have to know exactly what you're doing. But which way did it go? Well, I had no clue what I was doing. I just simply trusted that was where I was supposed to be. And it was a very aggressive practice, a vinyasa flow practice. So initially when I began... I would tip and fall over quite a bit, but I just kept at it and my balance got better and better and better. And by six months, no more cane. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just relying on the instructors for the props, the supports, and they just really helped me and guide me through that yoga process. Well, Sam Shelley, how did you actually go? Did you go once a week, twice a week? What were you doing? I was doing like three to four times a week of yoga. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, the yoga itself, coupled with the meditation. So you were doing the meditation still very consistently. Yeah, it was daily. In addition to the yoga. Yeah, I called meditation my daily mental shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to get rid of the head trash, the daily head trash that I would pick up. So I had to clean it up. <laughs> yeah, I had to clean up all this mental nonsense. Uh-huh. That's fantastic. So then you did that, you did the yoga, and then you started to feel, you started to feel better and better. Right. Now, what happened with it? So, it's really interesting to me that, of course, it has something to do with the immune system. We know that uh, uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, has something to do with the immune system. Mm-hmm. Have you had any further thoughts about that relationship and the relationship to that, to your yoga practice and your meditation? Yeah, I had a lot of thoughts on my autoimmune diseases. What I see with autoimmune, the autoimmune diseases when I work with people today and they have an autoimmune disease, there's an element of self-criticism within them. 
that's making their environment and their inner environment very toxic. Like in my own environment was extremely toxic, being suicidal, being very depressed, being manic at times. I had a very toxic environment. So that's what I saw from meditation. It cleared that environment out. So it got out the negative self-talk. To, to, to re- you said that, but I want to restate it. The, the environment was in your head. Yeah. And it was a negative self-talk environment that you created. It was just a dark house that it you were living in. dark. <laughs> yeah. So then you said, look, I'm not going to live in this dark house anymore. And I'm going to work to get out of there. And uh-huh. you're going to use every force that you had, every skill that you had to fight your way out of the dark house that you had created or was created for you or whatever. didn't matter what happened in the um, origin of it. You just wanted to get the heck out of it. Right. Yeah. I just, I was just tired of the nonsense. I was really wanted that inner peace. That was my whole quest to begin with was not the healing. It was just really the inner peace that I was after and the healing just sort of happened. Well, that's very interesting about autoimmunity because we've had a number of uh, guests on who've talked about autoimmunity and immune conditions and food sensitivities and that whole immunity, how it actually affects your brain, how it creates depression, mood disorder, and so on. Mm-hmm. And to know that you had a direct link between the negative, critical self, self-criticism that was, that was the darkness was coming from that. It was directly related to your autoimmune challenges. So as you came out of that dark house, then you began to experience some resolution of the MS. Is that correct? Yeah, like everything was starting to become clear, like what I needed to do, like almost like this intuitive voice was just guiding me, like you need to do this now, you need to do this now, but just required a lot of determination myself and really to trust myself, to trust this intuitive voice that it was leading me down the right road. So this is interesting because now the question that does come to mind, that's going to be a very interesting question. And I'm going to come back and ask you about this question in just a minute, because we're going to take a little break right here for our sponsors. But the question that I'm going to ask you, and I'm sure that everybody who's following this conversation is, okay, if the voice is an answer for these variety of serious maladies, the question I'm going to ask you when we get back is how can you develop that voice? Are there any specific tools? What did you do personally? How could that work for the man in the street out in Possum Hollow, Alabama? So we'll come back and ask you that in just a moment. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. 
Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, folks, here we are back again, and this is Sam Shelley talking about his moment of self-discovery, but this was not a Freudian self-discovery. He didn't find out that he loved his mother in some odd way. <laughs> this, is, this is a self-discovery that's one heck of a lot deeper than that. So, Sam, I was asking, we're coming back to ask you, how did you actually find that voice? How can a person actually find that voice in themselves? And what are the tools you used in that regard to actually apply that voice in your life? Yeah, so I talk about this in my book, I Don't Dwell. And I give this book away free now in my Head Trash Anonymous group. People can just go there and download it. And I have all my steps and practices that I use to, to quiet my mind and how I learn to trust that intuitive voice. But really what it was for me was just clearing that mental garbage out, just having the mind go still. And it could be like the intuition, the intuitive voice. It could be an insight. It could be a knowing. But I've seen it with numerous people now when their head goes quiet, they sort of know what, they're do, what to do. It's almost like the body knows what to do, what the, what the best action is for the body. It sort of naturally knows that you need to go do this now. Like we know what's best for us. We know what to eat. But the mind likes that instant gratification. We know what healthy foods that we need to eat. We just simply know. But the mind always wants that chocolate cake or that sweet or whatever, and it knows. It just wants mm -hmm. the instant gratification in the mind. But once you let go and just really just dive into this peace, this stillness that I found in meditation, I'm seeing some pretty profound results out there, some pretty remarkable healings as well with people with autoimmune diseases are really getting some relief now if they – if they happen to have a toxic inner environment. So it sounds like the tool is twofold so far. Correct me if I'm wrong. One is the meditation and a regular systematic um, um, meditative exper experience, pardon me. And the second one for you personally was a yoga experience. So you got your body involved in the process. Mm -hmm. But the next level is... How did you begin to experience, was there something that you did specifically to bring that communication process, to open yourself for that communication process so that you could hear that voice? Was there anything else that you did that perhaps we should know about at this moment? No, there's really nothing. It really was that around the three-month mark after meditation one evening, I simply heard that voice say, perfect spirit. Then mm -hmm. the mind went very quiet that day, and that voice 
was still there with me, guiding me with these really short words like do yoga, drink water, less TV, less news. And it was just really, that's how it was for me. You know, it's funny because in mental health, the, uh, there's so much, um, what would you say, prejudice against a spiritual transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and really this is, you're describing a spiritual transformation. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't a necessarily a quote-unquote religious experience with a specific domin- denomination. But it was a spiritual um, experience in the sense that it was transformative for you and not of this world in a graphic, practical, realistic way. It, it sort of went out of the bounds of reality, but then was, in fact, helpful to you. And that's, that's an, interesting, an interesting, worthwhile concept to have that I think a lot of people then don't want to have. I, it's interesting to me. I don't know if you've experienced this with the people you've worked with, and I'd be interested in your feedback. It's like people don't want to have a spiritual experience. Uh, they're almost against the concept because then it sort of you're giving your life over to something you really don't know about, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it's that pastor or that church or that community, and so that spirituality gets tied up with the vehicle as opposed to, what happened to you, which was, it wasn't tied up with anything. So could you address that point a little bit? Yeah, I can address that. Yeah, I was not per- particularly religious when I was starting my meditation practice. I didn't really go to church very often and things like that. That wasn't my way. My way was just sitting there. And that's what I'm seeing that I just simply had to sit there and just really allow that mind to go quiet and just following this knowing. And I'm just trying to remember where, where I want to go in your your question and what was coming back to me was I have some people that insist they can't meditate. So I have them do a mindfulness practice. It's just something to snap them back into this moment. So if the mind's really chatting, I have them grab an ice cube or something to get their mind focused right here, right now. Cause they've discovered this in science that the mind can't multitask. It can only focus on one conscious thing at a time. So if the mind's caught up in the, the, the chatter. You can force your, focus back into this moment. And that's what I was really doing in my practice, forcing myself back into this moment. So that's what people can really see is just just cutting out all that noise cuts out the stress. And we know how harmful stress is to the body. All these studies are cortisol, how dangerous that is to the body. And it's not about being religi- religious per se, or even spiritual, just really diving into who you really are. You know, the one who sees through the eyes the one who hears, the one who listens. And the one practice that's coming to me that I share in my book that was interesting that I discovered, if you lay all these photos of you throughout your life, like a baby to a 10-year-old to a 15-year-old toward a 21 to where you are now with all these changing bodies, where did you go? (laughs) Where did those guys go? (laughs) Yeah, where did you go? You had all these changing bodies, but where did you go? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. No place. The one who sees through the eyes never changes. Yeah, yeah. Very good point. Yeah, you didn't go anywhere. Those that that with those each one was a uh, a moment of uh, an expression, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily the ultimate reality. Right. Yeah. Very very interesting. Now, do you practice with your crew? Do you practice meditation with them and teach them to meditate? Yeah, I on my Head Trash Anonymous group, I do have live Zoom events, and everybody can just join in, and I do meditations there. I share them on YouTube, and I just share my insights that I have. You know, that's what I wanted to get back to, that question that you asked. The big pivotal moment for me that I saw that I was doing in my life was 
as you were saying before, I was constantly looking outside myself for the answers. It was my team of six doctors and the medicine to figure me out. But when I went into my own self and say, what do I need to do? Instead of relying on others, what do I personally need to do to take almost personal responsibility? I didn't have personal responsibility when I was very sick. It was more like it was the doctor's job and the medicine's job. And my psychiatrist never told me to do a meditation practice or anything like that. It was just throwing pills at me. And same with the multiple sclerosis doctor, just throwing pills at me. No one suggested yoga or meditation, none of those practices. That is so darn interesting. Long distance high five, uh, you know, up there at Levittown, PA, buddy. That is a very interesting point because I'll tell you, that is really one of the absolutely essential reasons we're actually doing Corporate Journal, what you just said right there. And you had no idea in the sense of how connected we are in that. My, I have an underlying mission to get everybody educated so they can take care of themselves. So they do hear themselves. So they do think about who they are in reference to whatever this other person is saying about their experience. But who am I? How am I reacting to this? And what am I going to do about it? The passivity that comes into my office. I'm still a practicing psychiatrist. But the people that get well with me are the people that take a control over their lives and invest the time to understand what's going on and really start taking care of themselves. I mean, and it happens every day. I have people come back and say, you know, I wasn't really interested in taking care of myself. I just wanted it done for me. But somehow, through pain and through, you know, smacking my head against the metaphoric reality of uh, whatever didn't work, now I'm interested in taking care of myself. And I think that's a very, very interesting point. So do you actually have a process in your book for that self-care? Yeah, I do share all the steps that I use. I only spent like two chapters talking about my own health journey, but the rest of the book was just talking about all the steps that I used and that mm -hmm. people are using today. And I tell people, do the practices that resonate with you and get rid of the rest because this is your journey. You know what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And I really want people to take that personal responsibility, their own personal action. Because I was too in that space that it was someone else's job. And I, I did hands off and people really need to be hands on for their own care, because this is our one body. This is it. We can't pick up, the, as much as my, bo my, my body wanted to pick up the phone and say, hey, God, I need a new body. It wasn't <laughs> coming. It wasn't going to happen. Well, you know, and the other thing is, uh, apropos of that point, just take it a little bit deeper, uh, w that occurred to me, what happens so often is the person actually, out of that negative self-talk, they disdain themselves as being a viable entity, a source of information. So what happens is I don't have the information. Somebody else has the information. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is, no, from a practical point of view, you do have the information, but you got to go look for it. It doesn't come up in the context of searching for it from somebody else. You know, right. if you're chasing somebody else to give you the information, to give you the cure, to give you the magic, then it just doesn't come up because you're so busy, frustrated that it's not coming from the outside but when you actually start looking at yourself, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How are you going to change your diet? How are you going to get your exercise? How are you going to get this meditative experience where you actually let go of chasing the negatives? Then, then something's going to come up. And you're, you're, you're an innocent. You're an innocent on this. You just read a book and started doing it. And all of a sudden, boom, things started happening. Right, because I took action. I finally took action in my life. Instead of being passive, I took action. 
and the action happened very quick for me. I know some people sit in meditation for longer, but my epiphany happened after three months of realizing that my spirit was perfect, just the body was damaged. And I had that deep, deep sense after I had that voice that all was well. Now, help me with this, because I don't know what you know about this, and I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot at all, but this is my medical curiosity coming up, okay? So, forgive me for, you know, and I'm just talking generally about it. We're just two guys talking about this. But the business of the psoriatic arthritis and the psoriasis and the immunity, uh, those things we deal with every day, and we see them as markers for treatment failure. You know, when mm -hmm. a person has an immune system dysregulation and they're stuck in that immunity process. And we, we go at it in different ways. We change the diet. We look at healing the gut. You know, we do other things. Mm -hmm. um, what is your thought about the relationship or your experience or your reading about the relationship between self-realization and autoimmunity? How does all that do you have any thoughts about how that actually takes place? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. As I shared before, you know, if you're having an autoimmune issue, there's usually an element of self-criticism within you. It may be very deep, buried, very, very deep, but there's an element in there that you're lacking in some way. In some regard, you're lacking. And everyone that I talk to, I never met somebody with an autoimmune disease that has an absolute love for themselves an unconditional love for themselves. I simply have not seen anyone with an autoimmune disease that has unconditional love for themselves. I just mm -hmm. simply have not seen that. Mm -hmm. So then they practice like, okay, and you, then you rebuild with them. I'm, uh, I'm guessing now because we've heard others talk about this. You rebuild, what do you do well? What can you do? Who are you? What's your, what's the, what's your mission in life? What's your larger uh, contribution going to be? That sort of thing. Right, like what makes you happy? Like focus on things that make them happy, bring them joy, bring them out of that darkness, if you will, that dark place to self-criticism. Do the things that bring them joy, whether it's just grandkids, it's a hobby, it's just something out there that takes them out of their own misery and just to see how beautiful their life is, that it's a gift that they have these experiences. So cool. Now, let me ask you this. Let's talk more about your mission with Head Trash Anonymous. Let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, you know, the issue is when you, what happens? A person goes in there, do you do virtual, uh, how does all that work? Just let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so what happens if they come into the group, they'll see that the events that I have set up in there and they could just join one of the events I have. I usually have two Zoom calls or three Zoom calls a week and they can just jump in. And everything I do in that group is just by donation. So I just jump in and do that. If people want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, that's the only time I charge fees. But for my talking in the group, it's a strictly donation because I want people to, to cut the chatter out so they can cut the stress out. And when they cut the stress out, they'll notice physical changes within the body. They'll start feeling better about themselves, the less stressed. They'll feel more validated that they, they are worthy of life, that they are deserving. And just really helping people out of the darkness that, there's hope out there and there's like a whole community of people that have had similar experiences or maybe somebody raises a question that I don't know because I didn't have a personal experience and they can jump in, jump in and share what they experience, how they work through it. Because what I see is that, that it's not one size fits all. And unfortunately I saw that in my medical care, it was like one size fits all. And I really saw that in my multiple sclerosis rehab. It was like, Oh, you did 10 minutes of therapy. You must be tired. Go rest. 
He didn't ask me how I was feeling. And that's what I'm seeing today. Like meditation may not work for them. So maybe there's a mindfulness practice that will work. I took somebody that loved football watching and made it a mindfulness practice for them. Oh, stop right there. That's a that's an interesting one. Let's as soon as you said let's let's tease that apart for people because that's a take home right there. That it sounds like an innocent just casual remark, but that's a big deal right there. Because you, you're really talking about meditation, which for a lot of people is going to be, oh, my, that's too deep. You know, that's just, I can't do it. I got to have better instruction. I was no instruction out here in Tuskegee. And then you say mindfulness practice. And then you say, okay, now you're watching football or whatever. How, break all that down for us, please. <laughs> all right. What, what I did for this person watching football, we, were, he, we met each other at a conference. He was giving back a ride to an airport, and we stopped this restaurant to, to have a meal, and the Dallas Cowboys game was on. So anyway, so Tony Romo gets hurt, and, so, and this guy starts, well, he must be feel. He he expressed like his opinions, how like Tony Romo was feeling, how Jerry Jones was feeling, and I just asked him questions. Well, how do you know that opinion's true? How do you know what Tony Ramos thinking? How do you know what Jerry Jones is thinking? And just really asking him questions to be mindful of his opinions, what makes them true, and get him to challenge his thoughts and get him to see why he's watching that game, just challenging his opinions on that. What makes that true? Is Jerry Jones concerned about Tony Remo, or is he more concerned about TV ratings and attendance in the stadium? Like, you don't know where his thoughts are. You're just sharing an opinion. So what makes your opinion the absolute truth? And I got him to really dive in with those questions that really challenge his thoughts, if you will. Sam, that's so interesting. You're kind of, without saying it, you're kind of a revolutionary guy. You're like, now, I, and I, and you may not want to be called that. So I'm being careful not because I think there's some negative uh, uh, implications of being revolutionary, but revolutionary in a positive way because you're saying dogma is good if it works, but dogma is not good if it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with questioning dogma, which is what we hear all the time in, at Core Brain Journal. There's nothing wrong with questioning dogma. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, we need to question it. We really must question it for the uh, evolution of humankind. I mean, it's just one of these things we have to do. And if we don't do it, we're asleep. We're dead. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just not, we're just living in pain and, and denial. You know, we start thinking about these things a little more carefully, like you just talked about with a dog on football game. That's mindfulness. Yes. Now, give us a that's a very good example. Take us one click deeper with another example. That's something that a person could use and they say, okay, let me think about how I'm actually thinking about this game. Do you have any other examples of mindfulness sh that kind of short of meditation? that a person can say, oh, okay, I, I, I understand this other explanation. Okay, here's a story I can share that's coming to me. I was going with a friend down to into Philadelphia for a doctor's appointment. She was on the subway starting to have a panic attack. So what I had her do was grab the metal pole on the subway, and I started to ask her questions about that metal pole. Is it hot? Is it cold? What color is it? Is it rough, smooth? And just asking all these questions about the metal pole that she was holding like how her grip was, was it tight, was it loose, just really getting the focus on that metal pole. Within a few minutes, she was not in the longer in a panic attack. She was just totally focused on that metal pole because I was able to pull her out of that mental story, the head trash, that the constant churning. 
and to like feeling the pull and just asking our questions about that pull. And people can do that themselves. If the mind's really churning and it won't break, then you grab an ice cube, you jump in a cold pool, you just do something to snap the mind out of that. You're just trying to put gaps into the thought stream. The more gaps into the thought stream, the more peace that you will have. Sam, that's very interesting. And we had people uh, at Core Brain Journal here talk about cold showers. I think cold showers uh, may have something to do with all that. But let me ask you this other question while we're talking about it. Uh, I'm sure some of our interest, I didn't really in the intro go far enough with you. Let's talk about your background. I mean, you're a very bright guy. You're a deep, inquisitive guy. But you, do you have licensure or something? Or are you a social worker? Or, or what, what's your training? Yeah, well, I was in the corporate IT space for 20 plus years when I was doing, dealing with all these disabilities, mm -hmm. which was really good because in the summertime, I simply could not go outside with MS. Anything above 70 degrees is pretty much a no outside for me because my whole body would shut down. Mm -hmm. But what happened to me after I had all this healing happen to me, people were wondering about my journey. How, like, how did I do this? So I wrote the book. Then after I wrote my book... Then somebody said, hey, you should become an ordained minister because these are kind of thoughts you share. So I became an ordained interfaith minister because I see all religions are equally valid. They all teach kindness, compassion, you know, the golden rule, you know, do unto others how you want done unto you. Mm -hmm. Just really the, being that place of kindness, compassion. So that's really my, my own personal training, if you will. Like I suffered for 37 years. Wow. <laughs> I got myself out of it. In the darkness. Wow. Yeah, in the darkness, my own personal experience. So do you actually prepare? Now, this is a cognitive question. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the deeper uh, transformational practice. I, I got that, and I think our, our audience, we've got a bright group of people that listens to this. But the question is now, this is going to be a somewhat tongue-in-cheek question, but do you then deliver the metaphoric homily? How does all that work at... Um, at Head Trash, do you actually have moments where you talk about things in a uh, kind of quasi-educational way, cognitively speaking? Well, what I do is I just talk to them and just see where they are, where what their challenges are. Then the best I can explain my process is that I sort of go into a meditative state myself and allow my mind to go quiet and just what intuition arises within me for them. At that so, moment. Yeah, that moment. So I just dive into a meditation as well to allow my mind to go quiet. And it's really amazing what comes through. Like uh, I recently worked with this 30-year-old that had a problem with relationships. When I dived into this meditation, I found something. I really dove into it, and this intuition rose up of an experience she had when she was five years old. She didn't even discuss this. I just went into that space, and I asked her about this incident that happened at five years old. And we talked about it. And from that experience, she felt inferior, not good enough to be in a relationship. So we traced that all the way back to age five without her really telling me about it, but just allowing the mind to grow quiet and just trusting that intuitive voice that was within me. And that usually works for me. If I get quiet with that person, I'll see something in their past that might be suppressed or something they don't think about anymore. It's just uncanny when I tell people, at this age, this happened, or this age, this happened. I can't logic this out. I cannot explain it logically. It just mm -hmm. simply works for me, like it worked for my healing. 
That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Now, apropos of that, because then it sounds like you're a little bit telepathic. I don't like to use that word because it sounds so uh, inappropriately magical, but it, it, that's really, you're in another person's space on a different uh, level of reality when you're there with them. Yeah, I'm really seeing, yeah, I'm seeing their life. You're seeing their life. Now, when you had this transformational experience occur in your life, do you have a, a sense that there was anybody who you were connected with? Was there a personal connection with that or it just happened out of the blue? It just happened out of the blue, just hearing that intuitive voice say perfect mm -hmm. spirit. My whole world just shifted after that voice. The mind got quiet, and this voice almost became louder. Typically, the head trash, the thoughts are extremely loud, so you mm -hmm. can't hear the intuitive voice. But when the yeah. mind goes quiet, then I just hear it now. It's just well, my thought about it was, and this is going to sound a little hokey myself, I'm getting a little magical, but I think that you could you could have picked that up from the book itself. I remember reading a long time ago the autobiography of a yogi i don't know if you've read that by paramahansa yogananda yeah i i caught i did some catching up after my experience this was not my reality after this shifted mm -hmm. then i went back and read some books and tried to to understand more of the spiritual space because this was totally new to me mm -hmm. well when you read about it, it it just just reading about it this is a cognitive process reading another person's life who has written down these things and it kind of opens you up to the possibility. And if you don't have an open, openness to the possibility, then sure as heck isn't going to happen. Right. You need, you need a sense of openness. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even talk about the experience that I have that really cracked me open. Because in 2010, I was this disabled man. I used to watch a lot of TV. You know, I was like a couch potato, watched a lot of TV. So I used to watch ghost hunting shows. But it was like TV. I don't know if this is real or fake. So I put on my cooling vest one day, went out to a ghost hunting event down in Philadelphia. I had an experience I simply could not explain. There was a flashlight going on and off. I simply could not explain this. It was and in it felt, your head? Tell, tell us what do you mean when you say that. What was the flashlight? Was the it flashlight in the darkness? Was turning, no, the flashlight was turning on and off by itself, by command. Okay. I simply could not explain that. And I was like, wait a second, that's not my flashlight. So I put out my flashlight and it was doing the same thing, going on and off by command. Then it felt like somebody I couldn't see sat next to me. And I was just really curious because I'm a smart guy. I was curious, like, what did I experience? So I started to read some books. Then I found that one book that talked about meditation, and that was my journey. That's a, So you had – it was a ghost walk, and you yeah. had somebody from the other side kick you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's pretty good. He said, hey, buddy, here's what you got to do. You know, that's, that's interesting. But it was my curiosity. I just didn't have that experience. I just dove in like, what did I experience? Trying to quantify yeah. it, trying to logic it out. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting, uh, you know, that, that, how, that, how that happens. I've heard others say that, and it has this magical quality. And, and I know some mental health people say, you know, hey, he's crazy. I mean, I, they just like jump to it immediately. Instead of saying, what, what is this? What's the process? Let's be open to what this thing is that's going on here. How can we learn from it? How can we uh, effectively connect with it if it's useful? And how can we grow from it? Basically, that's what the issue is. All right, because what I can think about when I try to explain to my doctors in the Philadelphia area what I did, they, they usually questioned me trying to quantify it. They couldn't quantify it, so they just, they just, it was a mystery to them. But I went to a conference hall in California. I told a doctor out there that my story, he didn't even bat an eye. He says, like, oh, you stop believing your thoughts. 
<laughs> California is a different place, you know. Yeah, they are. But, but it's funny how the country is changing. I mean, you know, it, it, to me, it's amazing because, you know, uh, at American Psychiatric Association meeting in, in Toronto, it's probably a couple of years ago now, but it was amazing how many uh, traditional psychiatrists are beginning to think more deeply about these things. And I just uh, got off the a recording with Dr. William Walsh, Dr. Bill Walsh. I was telling you off offline. Mm -hmm. And he said that the most frequent attendees, he's got 500 people attending his conference on, uh, you know, this whole business of uh, nutrients and mind and brain and how these different, and he's got five, they're psychiatrists. Now he's completely out of the box. You know, he, not, I wouldn't say completely out of the box. Actually, he's so far in the box, he looks like he's out of the box. That's what I'm really trying to say. And that's kind of like you. You're, you're so far in the box in terms of the depth of the way you're thinking about things. It looks like you're out of the box. But, right. And yeah. So, I mean, there's that, there's that paradoxical way of thinking about these things that, you know, it's almost like a fear. I don't want to go too deep because I'm going to do something wrong. You know, I'm. I'm going to go out of the group think. And if I go out of the group think, it's going to be a wrong thing. And somebody's going to point their finger and tell me I'm stupid. Yeah, that's what I see too. The first th step that I do for like people with depression, bipolar, don't take anything that other people say personally. They're just re reject. They're only relaying their own head trash to you. You know, they're yeah. just projecting their own story. That's and the, mind, the mind also has a story like that's not for me. And you have to have a sense of openness, a sense of curiosity. Like, what's out there beyond these thoughts that I have? You know, just mm -hmm. what's out there and just being open to try new things. You know, like, like to me, like when I had multiple sclerosis and I always heard the voice say, do yoga, my logical mind would say, no, there's no way that you can do that. Just forget that. Put that out of your picture. But I did it anyway. I just trusted it. And I'm a completely different person today. It's fantastic. What a terrifically interesting interview, Sam. I really appreciate you taking the time with us. This was very, very useful. Now, listeners, we're going to have that with, with Sam's permission. I haven't really gotten have you sign off on it, but can we do the book through a giveaway on the show notes here? Yeah, you can give that book away because I give my e-book away for free on my mm. Hedgehog Anonymous. You can do it here. So I want the world to see you know, that there is a way out. I want to bring hope to those feeling hopeless because I was hopeless for 38 years. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's funny because at least you were alive enough to know you were hopeless. I mean, right. I, I see folks that have no idea that that's what's going on and you can't crack them out of it. They're like... This is the way it actually is. I'm like, no, it isn't. But yes, and, it, and they'll argue with you to say, no, it's got to be hopeless. I mean, this, so it goes on and on. But anyway, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and thoughts. It's been very entertaining. I mean, I think my original thought was, oh, my gosh, this might be a little spooky for our audience. But I think when you come down to it, I think people are really looking at options and ways to think about it. And I think your humility and your good humor and your, your whole uh, ability to laugh at the situation as well as see the seriousness of it is, is really a transformational even in the conversation. It's very, very uh, appealing. Yeah, because I've been in that really dark place of being suicidal and being hospitalized for being suicidal. So there's a gentleness that has to come, that people are really in this darkness. They're really suffering. And you mm -hmm. just can't say, hey, your thoughts are nonsense. You have to sort of ease into that to really explore and examine, as I'm sure you see quite a bit in your work, that you just can't just dive into that darkness so quick. 
Well, I like the fact that you've given us a way out. You've opened a door that really isn't open most of the time. Yeah. It's tied to some other doors that we've been opening here at Core Brain Journal. We've had some really good people talking about the way people think and, and mindfulness and uh, even mindful parenting and, and meditation. So it's really added to the conversation. We really appreciate your coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Parker. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's, it's really nice to see doctors in your space. Thank you so much. You have a great day, buddy. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.